0: Uh, so this morning, uh, as I said, I'm preaching in chapter 14. It's really the, the third part of uh, what is kind of a, uh, a collection of, of sermons, a collection of chapters in, in the book of 1 Corinthians. Chapters 12, 13, and 14 really kind of un, unfold this larger narrative about spiritual gifts and the building up of the body, uh, the, the body of Christ, the church. And so in chapter 12, if you were here a couple weeks ago, uh, you remember we looked at this, the main idea, which was that uh, spiritual gifts— are the gifts that God gives to the church through you, right? So, so when I talk about my spiritual giftings, it's not my gift to open up and enjoy and and, and pull out when it's convenient for me, or to bring uh, to bring a claim to myself. But really, when God gives you a gift, He's giving the church the gift, but He's giving it through you. He's He's put it into you to come out into the church, and uh, and so the the situation that He was writing into was that the church in Corinth. Uh, was really valuing the spiritual gifts, particularly the gift of speaking in tongues. They, um, they, they were exuberant in their use of speaking in tongues, and uh, and they felt that they, it elevated them. There was there were some issues of, of pride or arrogance related to it, and they felt that they were really mature because they spoke in tongues a lot. And so if you remember early in the letter, Paul corrected them and said, hey, you guys, you think you want meat, but you're not done with with milk yet. You're, you're still acting as spiritual infants. And so, so he comes to him and he says, hey, whatever spiritual gift you have, that gift is meant to be used to build up the body. Uh, and you should yearn for spiritual gifts, but I've got something better for you. And the thing that's better than spiritual gifts is love. And so last week, Keith preached uh, chapter 13, which is this famous chapter uh, in, in the Bible about love. It's one of the greatest poems that's ever been written about love. It, uh, you hear it uh, spoken at weddings. Some of you probably got a Valentine's Day card that had some verses from First Corinthians 13 in it, right? Because it talks about love is patient and love is kind and love keeps no record of wrongs and faith, love and faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love, right? Uh, so it's, it's, uh, you can look at it on its own, but it's sandwiched in between these two teachings around spiritual giftings. And uh, he begins chapter 14 after taking this side discourse and into talking about all the spiritual gifts in the world don't matter anything if you don't have love. But, he says at the beginning of verse 14 in, in verse 1, he says, but pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And it's that word and that I really want to focus on this morning because that's, that's the heart of the text that we're looking at here. He says pursue love and desire the spiritual gifts. Uh, so many times we fall into an either-or uh, in our culture, in our society, there's these uh, these false dichotomies, these false divisions, these false separations uh, that occur. And, and, and I'm not saying this to say that there aren't absolutes. Right? There are absolutes. So there is God's way, and there's every other way, which is what we call sin, is which is rebellion, which is which is off the course. It might look good, but if it's not along God's path, it's not good. There is absolute good, and there's absolute evil. But uh, but what Satan does is he always counterfeits. God's good things, and so he'll take what God has created, these absolutes, and he'll claim that things um, that aren't absolutes, he'll make them into absolutes uh, to to confuse us, and and we're entering into a political season, right, where that's going to be the heart of most of the messages that we're going to hear, right? In this election, you have a very clear choice. There's no middle of the road here, folks. There's this way, my way, the good way, or there's destruction, right? Right? The reality is on all these political issues, I mean, the reason that we haven't figured out immigration and that everybody's talked about immigration reform for uh, decades is because it's really hard. It's really confusing. You have to have some sort of rules that apply to people that want to come into the country and you have to enforce those rules. But what those rules should be, that's a, that's a very confusing and difficult thing. But, but people will talk about it as a, either the choice is no borders, no, rule, no laws, anarchy, <laughs> or uh, there's a giant wall, and no one can come in, and it's an impenetrable fortress, right? And that's your two options. Which one do you want? And most of us are like, I don't want either of those options, right? <laughs> I want something that makes sense. We can fall into this in, in, in churches as well, and he's going to talk about this today, that, um, uh, that in a chapter that he talks a lot about speaking in tongues, and he talks about prophecy and all these sort of really, like, wow gifts, where we're like, wow, that's, wow, Right? But the main point that he makes is about clarity and order. That's how this chapter is, when we're thinking about speaking in tongues, spiritual gifts, what I want, what Paul says is I want clarity and I want order. And so what happens, even in the church, is that churches will go towards, hey, I, I really like the spiritual gifts, like just let the Spirit move, do whatever we want. There's no order, there's no structure, or they'll move towards uh, All order and clarity to the point where today's service was planned out five years ago, and there will be no deviation, (laughs) and there is no room for the spirit to move, right? Now, uh, some self-awareness here, right? Riverside, we probably skew towards the order and clarity side. Um, there's not a lot of uh, exuberant giftings of the Spirit on display in dramatic ways here in our Sunday morning service. But but our goal and our desire is to be an and church, right? We want to be Spirit-led. We want to use the giftings of the Spirit that God has given us. And we want to have order and clarity. We want to exist uh, within that and that God wants us to have. Uh, these things are uh, hard to do. Uh, I thought our worship this morning actually was a good... Demonstration of that, right? For some of you, you were like, when we're singing Garden, and you're like, man, Lord, I could bring my heart to you about a hundred more times. I just want to keep singing this song, right? Others of you are, when we got to In Christ Alone, you're like, oh, good, finally, I know this one. Three stanzas. They went with the triple repeat at the end. I mean, you guys are getting a little crazy, but. But within our worship, we want to embrace those things, right? We want to embrace the tradition that, that we've been given. We want to these foundational truths, these songs that have been sung for generations. Um, and we also want to open ourselves up to, to a new movement of the Spirit. And sometimes it's hard to figure out how to do that and also get all the cars out by, you know, by 10 o'clock so that we can get the next crew in, right, so that there's a parking spot for you guys. And uh, we're trying to find that balance of order and clarity, along with the giftings of the Spirit. And so uh, there's a lot that that Paul has to say here in this letter. Um, He used the word edification seven times uh, in this this chapter. So it's really important. And edification is the instruction or improvement of a person morally or intellectually. He says whatever you do, it needs to be for edification. It needs to be for instruction and improvement uh, of the church. Uh, that that's the goal, An edifice is a, is a large building, it's a large structure, and he says the church is being built into this structure, and whatever you're doing with your giftings and, and the way that you structure your worship and stuff, it should be for the building up of the church. It should be intentional in that way, and so, uh, so that's the goal of what we're looking at this morning, and so let's be, begin to dig into the passage. Um, so it says, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, uh, verse 1, it says, pursue love The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Uh, so what he says here is, is, is really something that's pretty, pretty simple to understand. Uh, and we're talking about these two things, prophecy and we're talking about speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues... Um, is, is uh, speaking uh, in the last chapter, if you remember in 1 Corinthians 13, he talked about it, you know, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels. And so um, there's this angelic language, there's this language that, that is not discernible in human senses and, and we see that in the Bible. And then we also see like it uh, in, at Pentecost in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit came down uh, that the people were uniquely given this ability to speak in languages that they didn't know that weren't negative languages to them, but all these people had been gathered to Jerusalem from all around the world and they were able to go go out in the streets and speak the gospel in the language that each person could hear in their own native tongue. And so there's, there's different kinds of giftings of, of tongues and language, uh, but either way, if you don't speak it, if it's a heavenly language or it's an earthly language, if it's not one that you know, and somebody gets up and starts speaking it, you, you don't get anything out of it, right? Like, there, there's no benefit to you. Um uh, it, you might be impressed by it. You might be like, wow, the Spirit seems to be on that person, but there's not actually a tangible benefit. And so he says, uh, you know, I'd rather that you prophesy. prophesy to to speak a word from the Lord, and that can also incorporate a lot of different things. Let's um, think about examples of this, and one of the the best ones that I can remember for us here in a church, we had a leaders meeting where we gathered together, and we said, I said to him, I said, hey, listen, I, I, I really want to hear from you guys. I want input like, where do you think God wants us to work in the community? Like, what are the opportunities that we have to get out and just really um, to bless our community and bring Jesus to them? And um, and before we even began, um, one lady, uh, Lynn Jackson, she's like, "Well, hey, how about if we just pray and we just ask God what He wants to do?" <laughs> um, it was like a prophetic word in that moment, and we're like, "Yeah, that's that's yeah, let's do that." And so we spent some concerted time praying. And over the next uh, two to three months, opportunity after opportunity just came where the township would call us up and be like, hey, would you guys be willing to do this for us? We, we've been trying to figure out who could do this. Would you guys be willing to do that? Or, uh, it was amazing how we saw that, and it's one of those things that I look back on, and I think, man, that was just a prophetic word from her in that moment of like, hey, let's not go down this path of like just trying to figure out our plans. Like, what does God want us to do? Um, so when you prophesy, you speak of the word of the Lord in a way that that Upbuilds that that encourages that that consoles that that comforts, and so there's there's immediate tangible benefit to it. But at the same time, see the and in here. He doesn't say forget speaking in tongues; that's worthless. Prophesy. He says, "I want all of you to speak in tongues. I wish all of you would do it." It harkens back to Numbers uh, chapter 11 when uh, uh, Moses. Um, uh is there and and, uh there's there's people that are set up to to prophesy that they're to prophesy but all of a sudden there's there's some people that are still in the camp that start prophesying and joshua's upset about he's like these guys shouldn't be prophesying and moses like i wish everybody would prophesy he's like i want the lord to come and speak through all of us like that's a good thing i i I don't want to restrict that i want that to grow he continues in chapter in verse six he says now brothers if if i come to you speaking in tongues how will I benefit you unless I bring some relevant uh, revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if your tongue, you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of a language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and a speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. So I've got an illustration uh, for you here. I didn't get to play in the band this morning, so I have to get my, I have to get my reps in. Um, but he talks about, uh, talks about instruments. you guys know this one, I want you to just sing along with me, okay? Just jump in whenever you feel it. Just, just get ready to go. Okay. Now by contrast. know the song when the notes are clear we can sing along and you can bring a whole room together and we can do it as one. That's where I need a roadie. Um, (laughs) He says uh, if a flute or a harp that aren't even, they're, they're lifeless If they don't play the right notes, nobody can sing along. Nobody knows where it's going. He says if the bugle doesn't play the right sound, the army doesn't know whether to retreat or to charge ahead. And he says if you're just getting up and speaking indiscernibly, what benefit is that ultimately to anyone? And you can see they must have really been stuck on this because he he reiterates this point a number of times. He really wants them to understand. Um, If you think about it, when they were building the Tower of Babel, God went down and he confused their languages to prevent them from continuing to build and to work together. And so the multiplicity of languages, the lack of understanding, was actually a, a word of judgment against them. Unintelligible language was a sign of judgment. Now, God came in and he redeemed that picture at Pentecost, like we already talked about, when he came down and he gave them the ability to speak into all the languages, not for confusion, but so that the, the gospel could go out to all these different places. And so it's this picture like God is always doing. He's always redeeming. That's like what he does. Paul saying, if you're going to speak, if people come into your church, you want them to understand what you're saying. He continues, uh, Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he might interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. I read something interesting this weekend, and what they said is that um, when they would prophesy, when they would speak a word of prophecy, um, that uh, the way that they showed, like, yes, we believe that's a word from the Lord, is they would say, amen, that means I agree, right? And and we're in the position of, we just say that at the end of all of our prayers. Um, That's why um, when Jesus, when he stood up in the temple and he said, amen, amen, uh, you have heard, and then he starts doing the word, uh, the people were shocked because he's like, he's already affirming, what he said before he's even said it. That's controversial, right? Like, he was claiming, like, what I'm about to say to you is a word from the Lord. And that was, uh, that was, that was significant. And Paul's saying, how can anyone agree with you if they don't know what you're saying? There's, there's no way to agree. There's no way to affirm that what you're saying is true. And so he says, I'd rather speak five words of clear, helpful instruction than 10,000 words in a tongue. Because he's more concerned with building people up than impressing them or showing off, or demonstrating that he's some sort of super spiritual guru. He doesn't care about those things. He wants people to grow in Christ. And that's what we should desire as well. Verse 20, it says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but... For unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, they will not say that you are out of your minds. Or will they not say that you're out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. He paints a picture of two churches, Right? Someone who doesn't know Jesus, an outsider, unbeliever, walks into the first church, and there's just chaos. Everybody's speaking in these foreign tongues he's never heard before. There's, there's all kinds of things going on, and he kind of like slowly backs away. <laughs> he's like, oh, I'll check this out some other time, right? The second church he walks into, uh, the church with, with unity is speaking, is prophesying the word of the Lord. They're speaking God's truth, and God's truth cuts to his heart, and he's convicted. And he's made aware of his sin, and he, and he turns and he comes uh, to follow the Lord. And, and, and Paul says that is what we should desire, that um, that, that we don't want to be a chaotic witness. Now, um, that hasn't been a, a significant problem here at Riverside, right? There haven't been many mornings where I had to be like, hey, everybody stop speaking in tongues all at once. Calm down. We don't want to freak out visitors, right? That's not, uh, we, don't, we don't skew on that side of the scale. Um, but the question for us, where does where does a lack of clarity come in? And I think for a lot of us, um, there's a tendency, uh, whether you realize it or not, uh, if you've been a Christian for a little while, you become part of this whole little Christian like subculture with its own little dialect and its own little reference points and its own way of saying things. And without intentionally doing it, we can present Christianity as this thing that's not understandable to those who are outside of it. Uh, we use these big Christian words that don't mean anything outside of the church that people don't understand. And um, you know, edification is not something you should be talking about outside of church, right? And, you know, if I, I don't come up here and I, if I was trying to impress you with all my big uh, theological words and talking about exegetical, hermeneutical practices, right? That's the whole thing with the Bible workshop. Logan's trying to say, how do I break these things down in a way that, that people can understand them more clearly? Uh, our goal is not to impress. Our goal is not to show off our intelligence. Our goal is to build understanding, and that's the question for each of us to ask. Am I presenting Jesus in a way that that makes him appealing, uh, that that opens up truth, that doesn't try and present myself like, hey, I know these things that you'll never know unless you work really hard. Do, do, do I come and just make Jesus available to people? You know, am I, am I focused on clarity? And it's funny because I think churches read these passages and some of them will say, man, look at, did you not read what Paul's saying here? Like, there's order, there's structure, there's clarity. This this shouldn't be like this crazy thing. And other people are reading the same passage and saying, Don't you see he's saying you should speak in tongues, you should prophesy, like this should be a part of the church. And the reality is, is that that's where the and comes in that, that, that we should do it. For for most of us, we probably skew on the side of saying, like, hey God. I want to understand more about these spiritual giftings. I want to understand what, uh, how can I speak in a prophetic way. You know, is there a spiritual gifting that you've given me? Is it, is it more, is it teaching? Is it administration? Is it, is it one of these other gifts? But um, Lord, I want to use everything that you've put in me. And if, and if I'm not using my spiritual gifts for the building of the body, show me how to do that. That's what some of us need to pray this morning. So that's his, his discussion about clarity. The second part that he talks about is order. When they come together... How will they order themselves in worship? So in verse 26, he says, What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at the most three, and each in turn, and, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If revelation is made uh, to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. It's really interesting. He says, Hey, I want you to use these gifts and everything, but uh, but we don't have time for 20 people to get up and share a word in tongues and then an interpretation. So uh, let's say two, at the most three right? I mean, it sounds very, like, rigid for somebody who's talking about speaking in tongues and spiritual gifts, right? You don't get this blend very often in the church. Um, but there's an order. He says there's, there's consistency. Um, man, we, we embrace order here at our church. If somebody preaches more than about 35 minutes, I talk to him about it because I say, hey, listen, when you do that, it creates problems for our parking team and our nursery team, and for, uh, you know, there's a ripple effect, and, and everything you said was amazing, but um, but we can always edit. The better we do, the shorter our sermons are most of the time. (laughs) It just means that we've really crystallized it down. Um, And it's an area where I need to grow too, right? But um, but, but we we value structure because the point is that we want to build people up. I can't share 57 ideas with you here on a Sunday morning. You won't take all of them home. But if I can take one or two ideas and I can try and make them clear, then then there's a better chance that you're going to be able to apply it to your life. And he says when, when prophets speak that the, the others uh, should weigh the prophecy. And this leads into this, this next section. And let me just warn you a little bit, spoiler alert, right? This is a controversial verse, and, and some of you are going to uh, feel brushed back by this a little bit. So, but give me a moment to explain, right? Um, so verse 33 says, for, as in all the, for, uh, uh, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women uh, should keep silent in the churches for so they're not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's shameful for a woman to speak in church. And you're like, wow. <laughs> That's a, a passage taken out of context that could really be used in a really uh, a brutal and abusive way, right? But, um, and I read uh, a lot of uh, different scholars this week, and they talk about some things, and I'll share some of the different ideas, but, um, but what I want— to show you that all of them agree on is that what he's not saying is that women shouldn't speak in church, that women should be silent in church because that would be contradicting what he said back in chapter 11. If you remember back in chapter 11, it was talking about praying and prophesying. And he said when women pray and when women prophesy, they should do it with their head covered as a a sign of honor and respect. He didn't say don't pray, don't prophesy, uh, don't speak in church. He didn't say that. He said when you do it, do it in a right way. And so what he means here. Uh, can't be that women should just, from the moment they walk in, be quiet and not speak until they come out the other side, although certainly there have been churches or people that have tried to abuse it in that sort of way. So let me, let's look a little bit at at what we think he might be meaning here. Uh, There's there's two thoughts that I think have um, validity. There's tons of thoughts, but one is that it's speaking about uh, interpretation of prophecy. So when a prophet speaks, that it was up to the leaders of the church to either affirm and say, amen, yes, that's a word from the Lord, or no, that wasn't. And so some believe that this is a continuation of that line of thought where it was saying, hey, when it comes time to speak with authority about the word of the Lord in the church, that that's the role that's restricted uh, to the male leadership of the church and that they're the ones that should ultimately uh, give approval or not give approval on that. Uh, it relates to First Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, uh, in which Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. And so uh, there's a whole discussion about is that teach or exercise authority, is that two things, or is that teaching with authority one thing? We can have a whole side conversation if you want to have a conversation. The point for us that I want to pull out of it is that for us as a church, it's the and, again, we're coming back to the and, right? How do we honor God's word and value women as, as fully uh, equal, created in the image of God, equal worth, equal value, uh, that, that were made uh, to function together, but unique and distinct at the same time. And, uh, and so the second idea, I think, um, points towards that a little bit. Um, the second idea was that there were certain women uh, who, uh, who took the freedom that they had And in the middle of the sermon, they were just asking questions. They were being disruptive to the church, which ties into this idea of unity. Uh, If you remember, we talked a few weeks ago. In this culture, women were very restricted. Uh, They were very limited in what they could do. And suddenly, when they came into the church, they had this freedom. They were viewed with equality. Uh, They were treated with value and dignity. And so some argued that that was why they were taking the head coverings off that they wore. All over town and all society, they always wore head coverings. But when they came in church, they were taking them off because they were like, hey, I don't need to do that anymore because I'm, I'm free here. And, and what he encouraged them at that point was like, yes, you have freedom. Yes, you're, you're completely valued. Um, but don't use your freedom as, as a way to uh, discourage or dishonor others. Um, don't, don't reject the whole idea of male headship uh, that's a biblical concept just because Um, you've been given freedom. And so, it's the same idea here that uh, these ladies were given freedom, and it talks specifically about their husbands. And so, this is married women. And so, part of the challenge is that if they were speaking up, disrupting the the service, and asking questions, um, in some ways, they were dishonoring their husbands who were meant to be the spiritual heads of their homes. And so, the question would be like, hey, like, um, why are you skipping past him (laughs) and coming here? Like, this is something you guys can talk about in the home and, 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 and work out together. And ladies, I know, listen, I know there's some of you that are much more spiritual and more intelligent than your husbands. That's just a reality, right? This is not a, this is not a, a question of, of rating value or that somehow men are superior in any way, but there's a uniqueness in role and distinction um, that the, the ladies were born with um, with specific qualities and specific abilities, and men were as well, and that we need to figure out how to work and function within what God has given to us. And so, uh, so I think that, that that idea kind of flows in. Uh, there's just some things in the Bible that that we look at and we pray about and we ask for God's wisdom and how to apply, um, But but sometimes that's where we really have to lean into him. And I think the problem is when people take a more, hardline approach where they say this is absolutely what it is. There is no gray area. You either believe what we believe or you're absolutely wrong. I think in the church we want to have discussions about how do we as men and women work together to serve God, to honor God, um, to do all that he created each of us to do uniquely and together um, and to do it in a way that honors the things that he's laid out in scripture. Uh, And that's fully in accord with what paul 's been talking about in this in this part of the letter about about clarity and order about about distinction about using our giftings that all these things wrap up together so if any of that leads to, to additional questions, feel free to email me uh, and there 's mountains of, of <laughs> articles, books, and things that, that we can look at and, and talk about um, but the goal is that, that we want to know Jesus better we want to serve him better and, and we 're striving to do that and so as we conclude here, I just want you to think about some applications, right? As we've been talking about spiritual gifts, if, if the idea of speaking in tongues or prophesying or, or any sort of gifting, if that's something that really freaks you out, I want to encourage you to, to wrestle with that this morning and say, God, what is it that you're trying to show me here? Is there, something, is there there's something additional that you want to give to me, that you want to show to me that I haven't really fully embraced or looked at? And, and are you willing to, to draw in closer to that? Um. If, if you're somebody who naturally pushes freedom to the, to, to the limits of its boundaries, then you might come to this passage and say, Lord, help me to use my freedom in a way that builds up others, that doesn't just just take as much as I can for myself and ignore the other things that you've laid out in Scripture. Jesus is, is the perfect example of this, right? He, he, he used his freedom so well. Uh, Jesus had incredible giftings. He cast out demons. He walked on water. He fed the 5,000. He brought people back from the dead, but he never did it selfishly. He never did it for his own gain. He never did it to elevate himself. In fact, after he did some of these things, they took him and they wanted to make him king, and he's like, no, no, and, and he had to sneak out, right? Because it wasn't about elevating himself in that moment. He was doing it to show that he had the authority to proclaim the truth to them, that when his life would be taken from him, that he truly was the son of God and that his death and sacrifice would be sufficient for the forgiveness of our sins. So Jesus always used his spiritual gifts and talents and abilities for the, the upbuilding of the body. Jesus never encouraged chaos, right? Jesus did things with clarity and with order. Um, and so not only is he our example, but, but he's the one who gives us the power to do these things. As a church, as we pursue him and we allow his spirit to guide and lead us, that's how we can walk closer and closer, and then we receive wisdom where there's an area in the Bible where the, the, the outcome is not incredibly clear. That's where we need to come together as a church and say, Lord, where are you leading us in this? What does this look like at our church? What do you, how do you want us to apply your truth into our situation? And As we do that together, we grow closer to him and we become a reflection of him to the community around us.